Father, you are such a good and amazing and mighty God. You created all things that we see here and all things that we see in the world. You are so much more powerful than any one of us. You are so mighty. You are amazing. You're worthy to be worshipped. Now, Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would move in every heart that's here with us today, that you would move in each of our hearts so that we might be attentive to your word. Would you soften hearts to the truths of your word? Would you cause us to look at scripture and all be in one mind and accord and agreement about what your word says and to be moved in such a way that it would move us to act and change and to be encouraged by truths that we see, by truths that we behold from you, our great God. We love you. We trust that you would answer this prayer, Lord, as you hear our prayers and you love to answer prayers just like this. Move in all of our hearts today, we ask. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we saw last week in our Galatians series that the Christian life could be really really hard. With sin and temptations and that inner boxing match between the flesh and the spirit. And if we're not careful, every one of us here, even if we're believers, we, even as believers, can really mess things up in our lives really, really fast because of sin and the flesh. As we saw last week. And in a fallen world, you see, we experience trials every single day as well. And there are untold trials in our future that we don't even know about yet. So things are hard, but thankfully, we are not alone. God is with us. And not only that, also in addition to that, he has provided to us Christian friends, fellow believers, to, to really we, to pick up on this theme that we saw a few weeks ago in our Galatian series, in this letter already. We have friends, Christian friends, to be there for us and for you to be there for others in light of all these challenges. And we saw even that true friends help their Friends, didn't think you'd come to church and hear life-shattering truths this morning, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of what is true and biblical because we can forget. And did you know that mature Christian friends, maturing, growing Christian friends, they should be the best kind of friends that there is in the history of the world. We stumbled across this in a kind of surprising or unexpected way, and Chapter 4 and verses 12 to 20 in our series, and we saw that true friends are truth-tellers like the Apostle Paul to the Galatian churches, not manipulative flatterers like the false teaching Judaizers who were tripping up the, the Christians in Galatia. And speaking of friends... Many of you have already met some of our friends visiting from California. Uh, I I bring them up here. These are the Katnak family, Aaron and Kelsey, and their five children. And and even Kelsey's parents are here with us visiting all the way from San Diego. They've been on a month-long 
road trip, but I mention these friends to you to make a connection to the a topical Christian friendship sermon I, I preached a few months ago. If you remember in that sermon, I shared how key good Christian friendships are in our lives and that I, even as one uh, of the pastors of the last church that I was at in California, prior to becoming a pastor, prior to going through a process of becoming ordained and one of the pastors of that church, Stacy and I, if you remember in that sermon, were about ready to think about going to another church, another gospel-believing, Bible-teaching church in the area, uh, and just about when we were going to be leaving that church, because we hadn't had any good Christian friendships, we ended up going to a meeting of that church where we met Aaron and Kelsey and their family for the first time, and we were fast friends, and we still are, and they're here, and you can see all the kids together. There's so many of them. It's just a joy that they're here with us. Uh, But I want to point them out as truth-telling friends, not the manipulative flatterers that Paul was warning about uh, in the Galatian church. Because, you see, with those types of true friends, they are even willing and actually intentional about dealing with your and their sin struggles in the Christian life. And also to be there for one another in the impossible trials that that we go through. That's what friends do. And our text this morning just so happens to pick up that very similar theme of genuine Christian friendships, specifically in the area of watching out for one another and caring for one another. And I just want to add here... uh, I think it's a perfect Sunday to be looking at a text like this, especially after considering and receiving two new church members before this, during this service. Because you see, church membership is in large part just multiple Christians being there for one another as genuine Christian friends, helping each other out to grow in the Christian life that could sometimes be hard. So what a blessing to have that connection to be able to see that before. But here's the thing. In order for us as Christian friends to help others and to be true friends, we have to be the kind of person, you have to be the kind of person that is mature and growing, a specific kind of person who is filled with and following the Spirit, not a Christian cannibal as we saw two weeks ago in chapter 5, right? The biting and devouring one another, that we could consume one another, as we saw in that sermon. You see, when Christians bite and devour and take chunks out of each other with spiteful words or evil, sinful gossip or an angry heart, I think it's needless to say that that kind of thing that we looked at in Galatians 5, that warning is not a great recipe. Christian cannibalism is not a great recipe, is it? to make good friends. Not at all. Uh, If you're looking for friends and you you put out a uh, job description, you wouldn't put those descriptions that we saw the last few weeks. But a true Christian friend is going to be a growing Christian. Not perfect, but those are turning away from the works of the flesh that we saw just last week and turning towards walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Not perfection, but they won't be pursuing those nasty lists of 16 sinful attributes we saw last week. 
They will be repenting of them, to be sure, as we saw, but they're not going to be walking in unrepentant, sinful, fleshly activity, or else they're not going to be a great friend. Because I think it's safe to say that if you are going and and diving headlong into this sinful, fleshly list that we saw those 16 attributes in Galatians, I think that's going to be a a rather mess of a kind of life situation, and it's going to hurt your ability to be there for others because you're going to be so enslaved and wrapped up in the works of the flesh. Remember, we saw those four categories last week, the categories of sexual sin or lust. There were three of them in that list, or of idolatry and worshiping false idols. There were two of them in that list, or hateful thoughts and harsh actions towards others, the interpersonal sins that we do with each other, that was the biggest part of the list. There were eight of them that were listed there. And then, of course, if you're given over to that wild party, living in pursuits, there were two other uh, in the list as well about those works of the flesh. But you see, Christians are to be repenting of and fighting and helping each other out away from those things, not diving headlong into those lists or uh, the the bucket catch-all that Paul said last week, if you remember, and things like these. Sinful, fleshly, wicked things, those are things that Christians are seeking help out of, seeking help to turn away from, not diving head first into the deep end of that kind of thing. So if we want to help others, we must be walking in the Spirit. Because if we're not walking in the Spirit... We're just going to be selfishly at each other's throats. (laughs) Like mangy, selfish, hungry dogs, always hurting and cannibalizing each other as we've seen in this letter. But instead, I want us to see that true Christian friends bear with one another the many burdens of life in this church family as we care for one another. And so that's the big question. How do we do that kind of thing here at our church. That's the purpose of this sermon in these next few verses. And I don't do this often, but I'm going to give you the outline up front so that you can see where we're going before we read the text. So here is the outline for what we're going to dive into. We're going to see this first and point number one. We're going to see check yourself. You need to check yourself before you wreck your Self, or as Ice Cube put it, chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself. I don't know if that is exactly how it went. And, and, and mind you, as a disclaimer, that's the radio version, of course. And then, of course, number two, we're going to uh, see and that we, that we need to be ready, number two, to restore struggling Christians. We're going to see that from the text. And then lastly and third, we're going to see that we need to be ready to bear all kinds of various burdens. So this leads us now to our text this morning as we start Galatians 6. I'm going to start reading uh, at the end of chapter 5 here because it relates in terms of the context. So here we go, Galatians 5, 25 through 6, 5. This is God's holy and inspired word. This is what we stand on. This is what changes our lives. Here's what it says. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. So point number one, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Notice here that we're starting here, if you see on the screen, at the end of the passage, Galatians 6 and verses 3 through 5, and the reason we're doing that is because as John Stott put it well, he said, we will not be able to bear each other's burdens, though, unless we have a proper gospel-based self-view. And since verses 3 through 5 that we just read at the end there deal with this proper self-view, we're going to just start here and then move on to the Christian friendship and caring for one another in the different ways that we do that. We must, as we saw in our series in the Sermon on the Mount last year, we must check ourselves. Or, as Jesus himself put it, we must take the log out of our own eyes if we're going to be able to help our brothers and sisters with the speck in their eye. You see, Jesus says similar things, doesn't he? As we just read in Galatians 6 and verse 3, it says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Answer me this, church. When you're in trouble and struggling with something, when you're going through a hard thing, dealing with a hard sin or dealing with a hard trial, do you pull out your phone and look in your contact list and start scrolling through to find the most puffed up, prideful person in your contact list to call and tell them about your struggle or your sin or your problem. Is that what you're doing? Are you looking for that kind of a person? I want you to think about that. Well, of course not. Of course you're not going to look for a person like that and the fact that you would ignore a person like that to make a call on that day is something that I would commend as your pastor to do because you want to avoid prideful people like that because if you reach out to them, they're only going to hurt you, right? They're going to use what you say to gossip about you and slander you and just make you feel uh, crummy and, and, and just be a terrible friend. You're not going to call a person like that, right? But we must all have a proper self-view so that we don't become a person like that. Because at the very core, if we're all really, really honest about it and humbled by our own sin and fleshly temptations and struggles, as we've been seeing, we're going to all realize, I don't care if you're the most mature Christian in this room, we're going to all realize in the grand scheme of things, we're no different than any other struggler around us. And if you happen to be doing well in a season of your life, you know that it's but by the grace of God that you're doing well. And you know what it is personally to struggle because you're self-aware. You've got a proper biblical world and life view. You see, that's the kind of humility that we all need together. I want us all to think of the gospel right now. 
Christ Jesus came into the world, what? To save sinners. Not perfect, proper people that got their act together, but what? Sinners. Not righteous or self-righteous Pharisees, but needy, wretched sinners. How many of you think it's a good idea to boast in yourself and to be proud in light of the fact that we, as sinners, needed a perfect Savior to come, become human in the incarnation and and come to the muck and mire and mud that we were living in, every single human, sinful, wretched, sinful, like the prodigal son in in the mud with the pigs... How many of you think it would be a good idea to just like boast about that picture of things? <laughs> I mean, if we just understood the gospel, it's foolishness to boast in ourselves in that way because that's every one of our situations. We're all born in sin, dead in sin, as Ephesians tells us. So Christians should be, we should be the humblest people in the world. Why? Because we're sinners saved by grace. We know that. That's the good news. But where are you at today? Are you the kind of person that your friends scroll by on their phones when they have problems because you're proud and arrogant, unapproachable? Or are you a gracious, humble, self-aware, gospel-informed, thankful sinner saved by grace, willing even to be there for other sinners saved by grace as well? Where are you at? If you are that kind of person, people will stop at your name and call you for help in time of need. But if you're the former prideful kind of person, people are going to scroll by your name and look elsewhere. And on that similar note, if you happen to be a prideful kind of person, another prideful kind of person might stop at your name to give you a call, but not to ask for help but instead to give you a ring to gossip about others. What kind of person are you? Where are you at when it comes to this cell phone contact list test? Where are you at? If you're humble, you're going to be self-aware of your own sin. It makes you humble. It just does. (laughs) There's no way around it. It just makes you humble when you recognize that. You're always going to be seeing the log of sin in your own eyes first, regardless of whether other people's sins are lesser or greater than yours. That's not going to be the point for you, because you're going to see your own sin. And you mourn over your sin as the Beatitudes reveal to us. And you're humble, and you're there for others because of it. That's a glorious thing. It's a powerful thing. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't do anything good in the Christian life. We've clarified this over and over again through the series. And it doesn't mean that we can't recognize maturity and and growth in the Christian life as well. But the point here is that we are seeing things in a humble framework and in reality. And we're not self-deceived like prideful boasters who have no clue about how sinful and bad off that they are because they're just deceived themselves. They see themselves in the wrong light. Why? Because they're not seeing themselves in light of the gospel. They don't have a biblical worldview. Let's see it in Galatians 6, 4 for some more clarity here. It says this, but let each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. If we're humble and self-aware, 
Just to clarify here, this is not going to lead us to a kind of false humility where you simply lie about the progress in your life. Humility doesn't mean that we cannot ever recognize ways that we're living in lives to the glory of God and growing in the Christian life. And it doesn't mean we can't recognize that in others as well. In fact, it's a really good thing for us to recognize that and encourage our brothers and sisters when we see that growth. Humility doesn't mean, biblical humility doesn't mean self-abasement. And always saying things in an exaggerated way that, that everything's worse off than they really are. No, humility leads us to a humble, true, right self-assessment of ourselves. Look, if you are a, a spiritual, godly Christian, and that's just any Christian with the Spirit, a believer. This is not some upper echelon of Christians. This is Christians who have the Spirit and are walking in the Spirit. If you're that kind of Christian, you will see growth in your life. You, mu- you must, because if you don't, then it's evidencing that you're not really a believer, as we even saw last week. You see, you will be producing fruit. God will be producing fruit as you pursue to, to, to keep in step of the Spirit. God is working in you. This is going to happen for every believer. If, you, if you're changed and you have a new heart, it's going to happen. But we're going to see, as we just read, that we're not going to be judging ourselves on the standard of comparison mode. We all know what that is, right? Well, at least I'm not as bad as that criminal who I just read on social media that got arrested last week. Or at least I come to church more than so-and-so. Or at least I'm not biting and devouring publicly, at least, as much as others that I see around me. We'll make those comparisons. I mean, here's the foolishness of that. When we make the standard of living other fallen sinners. We're just being mean and judgmental Pharisees when we do that. And we're not seeing it. Even if we don't see it, the reality is we wouldn't self-identify as this, but the reality is, as Larry Osborne's book title goes, we would be in that situation an accidental Pharisee. Pharisaical in our own heart without even seeing it, we're so self-deceived. Do you find yourself, here's a little test of that, comparing yourself regularly with others? Are are you quick to have a harsh thought and and judgmental opinions about everyone around you? If that's what you're inclined to regularly, then it means that you're not thinking about yourself or others with sober judgment. It means that you don't see your own sin. You just see everybody else's. And it means that you're not humble at all. And you're judging yourself against the yardstick of your perception of other people's wrongs and not against God's commandments. That's a recipe for disaster. For as Galatians 6, 5 says, it says this, for each one will bear his own load. I want you to see this. When you and I compare ourselves with others, we ignore the fact that each one of us stands Alone, not side by side, not graded on a curve, but stands before God together, individually actually, stands before God ourselves, not in relationship to other people. Each of us are foundationally responsible before a holy God. He is our judge. He is the one who we stand before. Though we help other people like we're going to see in our last Uh, Two two points, we stand before a holy God alone, not in comparison with others. 
I can't bear your load fully and you can't bear my load fully, which means we are each responsible people before a holy God and judge. But here's the good news, church. Here's the great news. If we have Christ, we're in luck. And we're all good. We're all set. We are saved because of what he did for us. And as Charles Spurgeon put it, he says, everyone must come with his own sin to his own Savior and by his own act of faith must find peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And isn't that exactly what we've been seeing in our Galatian series all along, this series titled Gospel-Centered Justification? That truth, that important truth, that the only way that each and every individual one of us will be made right before a holy God and judge is through faith in Christ alone as our only solution to our problem of sin and our pending future judgment apart from Jesus Christ. We're reliant perfectly on him for that justification, for that way to be right. But to be clear here, this personal responsibility that each of us has, it doesn't mean that we can't help one another out with the responsibilities that each of us has, right? It doesn't mean that we can't watch out for each other. But it does mean that in our helping others, it gives us a clear vision and view that we are responsible for God and those who we're helping are also responsible for a holy God themselves as well. It's important to realize that. Uh, It's clear from the scriptures and it's important even when we're helping others. So now that we started here checking ourselves, uh, this leads us, after checking ourselves, self-examination, this leads us now to ways that we can further care for each other, and it leads us to point number two, uh, that we need to be ready to restore sinning Christians. Look with me in your Bibles now to Galatians 6 and verse 1 for this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of Gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Check yourself. Remember that only humble, self-aware Christians are able to be a true friend to other people who are struggling in these ways. And remember that it's maturing Christians, keeping in step with the Spirit, who are filled with the Spirit, who are walking in the spirit, repenting of all their fleshly temptations and things of that nature, only people in that situation, growing Christians, are going to be able to help other Christians. It is literally the worst possible scenario to have an immature, prideful, sinning, no wherewithal Christian or professing Christian going around trying to be the sin police to everybody else, this prideful person. Writing tickets, looking around, wanting to give infractions as they're looking around to everybody else and their actions, unable to ever overlook an offense themselves because they're so immature, because they're their own personal judge, jury, and executioner. They hold people to their standard, not even God's standard. It's it's about their own perceptions and their own legalisms. You know that kind of Christian. And when you see them coming, you turn in the other direction and walk away. A prideful, self-assured person 
like that will do no good to anyone, but will actually cause harm in a church. So I think after reading these verses here, I think it's safe to say that none of us want to be that kind of guy or gal, right? So don't be like that. That's a clear implication. We don't want to be that kind of thing. And furthermore, if you have this sin cop tendency inside you, it reveals that even if you might not be the one writing the tickets, there's some people that aren't actually saying anything themselves. They're making infractions in their heart. Uh, you might be like one taking note and, and, and gossiping about it with others because you're too cowardly to even pridefully look the other person in the face and say what's in your heart. That kind of thing is also serious sin. I don't want to have sin cops like that here at our church. Every church could struggle with that. Christians could even be tempted to that as we've seen. There's grace and repentance and forgiveness and turning away from things like that. So another thing that we want to see is that's not how we're going to help. Don't be that kind of guy or gal either. Rather, rather each and every one of us here in this church, I want to encourage us to seek to help those in need. Seek to do to go good to others. When you see sin, have a humble, compassionate heart wanting to come alongside them and help the struggling Christian and church members instead of putting them on blast in your heart or with your words. We should realize, as Calvin once put it, and he said, now, we know that the devil is always lying in wait and has a thousand ways of leading us astray. When we perceive a brother to have transgressed, let us consider that he has fallen into the snares of Satan, Let us be moved with compassion and prepare our minds to exercise forgiveness. And I'd add to Calvin, as we saw last week, the inner battle and boxing match between the flesh and the spirit means that we ourselves have temptations within our hearts that will lead us in ways and draw us in ways astray and that we need to recognize and fight and put that to death daily in humility as we seek To help others, we are most foundationally seeking day by day to help ourselves, to to, to look to repent, to look to God and his word for help with our own trial. So that when we come uh, across somebody else, we're not prideful sin confronters and sin expectors and sin cops, but we're humble Christians knowing what it is to hurt and to fall and to struggle ourselves. Oh, it changes everything church. It changes how we care for others. And we need to be that humble kind of person. Uh, For as Dr. Jarvis Williams put it in his really excellent commentary, he says, it is absolutely imperative that the spiritual ones restore the ones not walking in the spirit with humility because they too might fall in the same transgression and because both the spiritual ones and those who walk in the flesh will bear their own load and judgment. And even as we look back again to Galatians 5 and verse 1, this is a clear warning for us to be able to see. It's clear in the text. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And did you see the word there, any transgressions? Christians can get caught up, as it were, in a net of entangled sin because of the flesh 
with them. So don't gossip about it, whatever it is, when you see it, even if it's nothing that you would ever think of doing in a million, million, billion years. Seek to do good and seek to care for someone in that situation to help to restore the person back to health, to pick them up when they've stumbled in the Christian race. Come alongside them, help them up, be there for them, pray for them, warn them, care for them. And don't be so foolish to think that you yourself are above their sin. Oh, that's so prideful, and it's so false. Be careful lest you too be tempted. See in your own hearts, I think that means the roots of temptation and sin, so that you might be humble in your approach to care for and help others out of that web and and net and mess of sin, so that you might not fall into that same sin. I want us to be helping others like that, not treating them like lesser Christians, but as fellow friends and strugglers along the way. Where's your heart in that? I want you to treat them as a a mentor, counseling, pastor friend of mine. Paul Touches once told his church, these are his words to his church. These were his goals, one of the goals for his church. He said that he wanted them and he prayed and cared and wanted to lead them that they would grow to be a hospital for sinners and strugglers. Like how that's put. He also told them that the restoration of a fellow believer is part of our ministry, every Christian's ministry. He said it must be. As many are trapped in sin or excessively burdened by the trials of life. We've all struggled with sin. We've all struggled with burdens. He goes on to say, so it should be the normal healing cycle of the church and goal of restoration and love. That's what the church should be about. That's what should be our DNA. We should be that church of mercy, that first church of mercy like we, we, we sung some months ago or weeks ago. Paul, this pastor, also said something so profound in his in his message to his church that I had to share it with you today. I just have to. He said to his congregation, this is what he says. Hear this. As a church, we must know, we must not be rejecting, rejecting or abandoning our struggling siblings. But we must reset broken bones of minds and hearts and help others to get back on God's path to walk in blessings and grace. Wow, that, that is just profound. It's so encouraging. It's such a picture of what churches should be. We can't forget this. We've seen this in our letter already, that we are adopted into the family of God. That means we're fellow siblings in Christ, daughters and sons adopted by grace into God's family. We've seen it already. Are we going to be that kind of thing, helping our fellow siblings or throwing rocks at them and uh, attacking them and putting them down? How are we going to be doing that? I want us to be humbly addressing our church family to help them in their sin. Because this process of confrontation and addressing sin, often in other places of scripture and other uh, dynamics, is referred to even as, as the church discipline process. You see that discipline process in Matthew 18 and James 5 and all these ways, the, the purpose is for the good of the church and the good of the person. It is always restorative. 
When we see someone struggling, we want to reach out to them with a heart for their good. We want to come to them with a humble spirit, even as we see here in Galatians 6, to help counsel them away even from the trap of sin that they're caught up in. This makes all the difference in how we deal with one another in the family of the Christian church. And did you know if you're a member of our church that you agreed to take this posture even with others in this church through our church covenant as we've agreed to live out the Christian life, always ready to restore, as Jay Adams famously put it in the title of his book, always ready to restore. Remember, in our church covenant, all of these things are in it. We shouldn't be backbiting and gossiping against one another. We shouldn't be doing that kind of thing, but always looking to reconcile and always looking to obey the rules of the Savior, as our covenant says, which means that if we have a, an issue with a brother or sister, we go directly to them, to, to their face in, in a humble, kind manner to address it with them, to win them over, to encourage them to help them on in the Christian life, not talking bad behind them, not backbiting, not gossiping, not anything else. It's in our church covenant. So, especially if you're a church member, think of how you yourself are handling other people's sins. What's your posture to them? And I would venture to say, if our church just would all be regularly, each, every one of us, personally working at the log or plank in our own eyes, every one of us, I need to see this, you need to see this, if we're doing that, I think we're gonna be a healthy, healthier church helping struggling Christians and true friends to grow in the faith as family in a beautiful, wonderful way. We've seen that here. I want to see more of it. Praise God. This passage, Paul is pointing us towards more of that. Caring for one another uh, doesn't only, though, deal with this issue of sin and confronting sin. It also deals with this issue of helping other Christians in the fallen world that we live in and the variety of burdens that we have. So we saw in number one, we need to check those motives. And number two, we want to be able to restore other struggling Christians in their sin. This leads us to our last point in number three. Quickly, we also want to be ready to bear all kinds of burdens. Look with me in Galatians 6 and verse 2 for this. Bear one another's burdens and so Fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I know there are many burdens right now in our church, and they are so deep and so hard and so difficult that they are so impossible, almost impossible to have to face alone. Weighty burdens. I know of them. And I know that there have been impossibly horrific burdens in the history of our church, of members suffering in our church. Horrific burdens, burdens that nobody should ever have to face, nobody should ever have to go through, but because we live in a fallen world, there are unthinkable burdens, there are trials and difficulties and suffering. Oh, it's just so hard, and I know that that's hit our church and every other church, and and as your pastor, I grieve and mourn for you. These burdens are heavy. I recognize they're heavy. So I want to ask us, are we going to be the kind of church 
And are we going to be a place here at First Baptist Church where hurting, suffering, and grieving people will be met with open arms and hugs and tears and prayers and fasting and pouring, giving our life for one another through these impossible burdens? Are we going to be there like a hospital? Or will we be a place where every man and woman is left to fend for themselves on the island of the local church in a kind of battle royale where everybody is just judging and backbiting and attacking and isolating and on their own, every man or woman for themselves? What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of church, culture even, what should the atmosphere and feel A First Baptist Church of Gallatin be. What do you want it to be? Where is your heart? That's going to be the answer here. Every local church has to look itself in the mirror and ask the question honestly. I, as your pastor, need to ask this. You, as fellow members, need to ask this. Are we a hospital for the weak? Or are we a coliseum where we take out our swords metaphorically and with our words slice and dice each other as we saw a few weeks ago in that Christian cannibal sermon. What kind of a church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that mends broken bones and hurting hearts? Or are we going to be a church that snaps bones and crushes hearts? I want to be a place and a church that the Apostle Paul puts forward here in Galatians. A place where we bear one another's burdens rather than causing them Oh, this is what our church should be. This is the glorious challenge and call for every local church. And I believe in the providence of God. I don't believe it's never a mistake, ever, that where we're at in Scripture. And here in Galatians 5 and 6, the last month, we've been dealing with similar themes. They just they were there clearly in, in chapter 5 and here in the beginning of chapter 6. It's not because I, I picked it. I chose to preach Galatians. It's just where we're at. Sometimes when we hear these recurring themes from God's word that are just there, sometimes we just need to realize that this is just another thing that God happens to be teaching us right now. This is why expository preaching is so exciting because you just never know what we're going to get. We just take the next verses that are ahead of us and we see what God's word reveals and then we apply it to our lives because these are God's standards. This is God's words and he knows what we need more than we know what we need. Amen? Our church and every church needs to be reminded about these things. And in fact, it's how we fulfill the law of Christ. Don't you think fulfilling the law of Christ sounds like a pretty important thing in the Christian church? That's not just like second tier, third tier, down the road, you know, I'll get to that later. No, no, when you hear words like that, fulfilling the law of Christ, we need to sit under it. We need to be corrected by it. It's an important task. It's important for our church. It's important for every single believer here at this church. The Galatians had fallen into works of the law. And we saw this throughout the letter. They were pursuing the Mosaic law even after Jesus had come and fulfilled it. Remember when the fullness of time had come. They continued down that road doing something that they no longer were under and pursuing the Mosaic law. But we've seen also here the last few weeks that that kind of thing, the fact that we're not under law anymore, doesn't swing the pendulum over to lawlessness or license or licentiousness. 
using the grace of God for a license to sin. It doesn't lead to that. And though we're no longer under the Mosaic law, and we're not, it's clear, we saw it so clearly in Galatians 3 and 4, we are now under the fulfilled law of Christ. So not license, but also not legalism, because we're under the law of Christ. And Jesus fulfilled everything in the law and the prophets, and there's going to be even future fulfillment that we see in the person and work of Christ into the future, and we see that The Bible, Christianity, it's all about Christ. The Great Commission even says that we are to teach all that Christ commanded. And that's a lifelong process as we teach and learn and seek to apply. It includes realities of the Old Testament fulfilled and passed through through the lens of Jesus Christ. And it also includes the rest of the New Testament, like the letter to Galatians and other passages, as, as this is God's revelation to us for our good, for our direction. But it's all summed up, as we've seen in multiple places, even in this letter, through the love of God and neighbor. This is what we need to be pursuing, love. This is why this has been a recurring theme. As we saw before in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 13 through 15, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But see what it says. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And as summarized in one of the sermon points in that sermon, not angry, hateful, selfish, biting, but love of God and neighbor biting. This is the law of Christ. We're to love each other. Do you see? Not to bite one another. And one way that we love each other and display that in our local church is the way that we care for each other in the burdens of life, in the sins we get entangled with. Caring for burdens, being there for those struggling with sin is loving one another, right? There's a lot of burdens. There's family burdens. There's work burdens and conflicts. There's health burdens with with disease and sickness and ailment and both not just physical but also mental struggles with anxiety and depression, weighty burdens on us. There's financial burdens. There's opposition around us and where we're burdened by others coming against us. There's so many burdens and we need to be there for one another in the burdens of life. But here's the thing. Jesus is the prime example of someone who gave his life for us and for our very many sins and for our very many burdens. Isaiah 53 in verse 4 says that the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, it says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus bore our sin, our griefs, our trials, our problems, our difficulties, our burdens. You see, the Son of God humbled himself by becoming a human being. He took on humanity because he wanted to bear our burdens. Isn't that a glorious thing? And he wasn't all talk. He actually suffered and died on the cross to atone for our sins. And he rose three days later as well. What a valiant Savior we have. And so that's the point of this text. And that's been the point of the last month of sermons that we've been seeing. For us to be like Jesus, to bear burdens like he 
ultimately bears our burdens, if we can all look ourselves in the mirror and take that task and the responsibility as members of our church more and more seriously, bearing burdens, caring for one another, I think we're just going to be a healthier and healthier church growing day by day, year by year. Now, I know, praise God, I've seen it. It's been demonstrated that there is love and grace and burden bearing going on in this church. And I am so very thankful for all of that burden bearing. But I long, church, and we should all long to see more and more of that good burden bearing love going on in my life and in your life for all of us to bear burdens like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray asking God now for help in these things. Father, we recognize that we cannot even come close to bearing burdens or helping others with sin or doing anything good in the Christian life if it wasn't for you first enabling us and working in us and causing maturity in us and leading us along the way. Lord, would you help believers here to be able to continue to keep in step with the Spirit, continue to follow you, repent of sin, and seek to be there for one another? Would you use us to care for the hurting, the suffering, the downcast, the struggling Christians among our midst. Oh, Lord, as we help others and others help us, Lord, help us to be brothers and sisters in Christ, siblings who are there together, who love one another. We need your help in these things. We can't do it alone. God, would you help us in these things? In Christ's name, amen.